and welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premiere podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. Go there if you're <laughs> welcome back to episode 144 of the Constitutionals Podcast. If you're watching this show, let me just take care of this right here. If you're listening to this show, I urge you to go check out the video. Because for this episode, I am dressed up in a very special outfit. I am wearing, this is in honor of the Oscars that are this Sunday. I'm wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a real tuxedo that I rented. Not for this show. Not for news time, which I also will be wearing <laughs> this get up in. But it is for a wedding next week that I'll be going to. And I ordered it from the Black Tux, not a sponsor. And they sent it, it was supposed to be here Saturday. They sent it, I ordered it on Tuesday. It got here, let's say, yesterday. So two days, today's Friday. So it got here Thursday. It got here in two days. I think it's because there's, in Atlanta, there's a, uh, there's a, a black tux, um, whatchamacallit. So let me get this laptop off my lap. I haven't done that in weeks. Uh, so yeah, here we are. I'm, I'm dressed up very nicely. I'm tangling a cord. Oh boy, I gotta make sure <laughs> this is still recording. Uh, and I'm dressed up very nicely. <laughs> and this is uh, this uh, also happens to be our, our Oscars our Oscars episode. I was just lament not lamenting. I was just uh, you know counting my my blessings. I guess <laughs> that this wedding is next week, and that I rented a tux, and that the tux got here in time for me to shoot two Oscar episodes: one for the Constitutionals, one for News Time. So here we are. This is it. It's a, it, we're supposed to be wearing a red tie. And <clears throat> so I, so I got a, I got a root. My mom, my mom was like, it's it, this, the wedding's for my sister. Uh, <laughs> which doesn't matter. But my mom said, get a ruby red tie. Uh, they didn't have, all they have is red, just like a regular red. They call it sapphire red. It's all the same red. And so I got the red tie and then I put it on. And then I send it to somebody, <clears throat> excuse me. I send the picture to somebody of me. To, like, I, t- I take a picture of myself. In the in the tie, uh, in in the uh, in the entire tuxedo. So imagine this black and white tuxedo, black tuxedo, white sh- white uh, shirt. I also have the shoes. I don't know if you can see them. Uh, I opted not to put on dress socks today uh, because uh, I feel, I didn't feel like it. I didn't wear this tux all day. Too. <laughs> That'd be insane. <clears throat> but I put on the I put I sent the picture to somebody, and then they, that person said I look like a Republican, which is very true. <laughs> so. Uh, I I will say don't wear red ties if you're a person. <laughs> don't wear red ties, period. <laughs> so let's get on with it. We have a very long episode. It's Friday afternoon, evening. Could not record this at a time because uh, my neighbors were being too loud. <laughs> not a joke. So I opted to do this today. All right. So I wanted to quickly skim over this. Uh, Hamilton. He's getting a movie. This happened literally the the day I put this up, this episode up, uh, last week's episode up. The Hamilton was announced to get a movie. Um, I just from this is from the LA Times, written by Ashley Lee. I'm very interested. The, what the deal is that uh, Hamilton in 2016, before everybody left, the main cast left, uh, they record they shot a video at the Rogers and Hammerstein Theater and on Broadway. And a video of the of, of a single performance was shot, and I remember that being like a big news headline. And Lynn said that they were just gonna uh, they were just gonna put it in the vault and seal it away for a couple of millennia. 
Not a joke. He said for a very long time. Uh, then, and then now we get word out of nowhere. Disney with their new streaming service, they they buy the Hamilton, the video for Hamilton, seventy five million dollars. It's a lot of money, and they're going to put it on uh, LA Times. No pop ups, guys, please. Uh, they're going to put it on uh, in streaming. I mean, on, on in theaters. They're going to release it in theaters for a little bit. Then it's going to be on streaming. Probably, I would say maybe twenty twenty one. It'll probably be on Disney Plus. Uh, don't quote me on that because I am not that type of. I'm not a a, a, a source, <laughs> but I guarantee it'll be on stream by 2021. I guarantee it'll be 2021 because 20. I think if they're going to release in the theaters, they're going to want to milk this as for as long as possible. They're going to. They're wanting. They're going to. They're going to. They they want to make that Broadway money. They want to make back that 75 million. They're playing a long game. Oh no no no! Whoa! Excuse me. It'll hit the U.S. and Canada theaters October 2021. So next year, next October, which means 2022, I guarantee it'll be streaming by January 2022. If I'm still doing this show and I still have the same amount of subscribers, Lord kill me. All right, but I want to I want to skip past that. Um, all right, so let's move on. This is going to be more in relation to uh, what we'll be talking about with the Oscars. Well, you know what? Hold on, I'm going to skip two stories. If you're looking at the notes, I will not change the order of the notes. But I'm going to skip two stories down and go right into uh, the New York Times. They have uh, they release numbers on their growth for subscriptions and what they're going to do next after that. Uh, I don't understand why this is not allowing me to click on it. Okay. Opening up in the New York Times app. This is from the New York Times, written by Mark Tracy. The New York Times tops 5 million subscriptions as ads decline. So in 2011, New York Times, they started charging people to look at their articles and their videos. And and then in 2000, I want to say 18, they started charging people to look at the, the cooking, the recipes. The company hit a milestone in the fourth quarter, passing $800 million in annual digital revenue, an amount that came more from readers than advertisers. So this promise of less ad, it wasn't really a promise. It wasn't really a stated promise. But New York Times used to be a lot like every other publication that's out there right now. They used to have a bunch of ads. If you go to, who has a lot of ads? Uh... I, I think WAPO has a lot of ads, Washington Post, because they have ads in line, inside. Well, so does New York Times. New York Times has ads inside of the, the articles, too, but WAPO is really Washington Post, uh, for the people who don't read it. <laughs> it's, it's really in there. You can really see it. But but ads would be everywhere. They had pop-ups. They had banners. They have this and that. They have everything. I just I muted the mic so I could clear my throat. This and that, they have everything. Uh, but now, with more subscribers then they're able to not just rely heavily on, you know, Gillette buying ads or somebody. I don't know what's going on. I'm not sick, but I just have a lot of phlegm. I'm phlegmy. As the company disclosed last month, in 2019, it passed $800 million in annual digital revenue for the first time, an objective it had pledged to meet by the end of 2020. Most of that $800.8 million, more than $420 million, came from new subscribers. So that's that's a little over half of people paying uh, either twenty five dollars per month or uh, what's the low amount? I think it's like twelve or something. I'm paying twelve fifty. Um, 
for everything. But yeah, $25 per month for digital, print, all that stuff. So very interesting things here. There's 505,251,000 total subscriptions, which include customers who receive ink and paper editions on their doorsteps and driveways, uh, and the close to 3.5 million who are digital-only customers for the core news products, the company said. So that means just the baseline. That means the people who sign up for the $4 or the $1 for four weeks and then you know, $10 every month after, every four weeks after that. Because they don't charge by the month. They charge every four weeks, which is, uh, which can get pricey, which can be, you know, $28 per month. I said, do the math. With impeachment proceedings underway and the 2020 presidential campaign heating up in the quarter, digital-only news subscriptions grew by 30% in the last three months of 2019 compared with the, with the year before. The other time subscribers are nearly... 1 million people who pay for the cooking and crossword apps. People who just want to do crossword or people who just want to look at the recipes. And they have good recipes. Uh, I would say they have a, there's a pancake recipe on there that I would not follow. That I've done twice. I've done twice now. Thinking this the second time, me thinking, oh, this is going to be better. It wasn't. It was a lot of, was it the pancake or waffle? They all, they, yeah, no, okay, it was pancake. It was pancake. Uh, the pancake looked good on oh, the recipe. It looked good. But when I did it, it came, it, it was too much flour. They, the recipe called for too much flour and, uh, I'm just not a fan of that. Uh, so they did announce that there will be a little bit of a price hike. It's going to raise from $15 to $17 and I'm looking for the quote cause I know uh, that's the reason I put this in here. Uh, (laughs) this is where I wish there was a second person that hosted this show with me because I hate this. Hate having to make things up. Okay, starting this week, the price of a digital only subscription to the main news product every four weeks will increase to $17 from $15. It's the first increase in the digital subscription since price since the Times decided to charge readers for online content in 2011. So the price is kind of negligible. We do see uh, digital prices going up for pretty much everything. Uh, Netflix has gone up, you know, t- from eight dollars to to twelve now. Um, Hulu's gone up. Well, actually, no, Hulu went down to six dollars. Um, so never mind that. Uh, Amazon's gone up. Uh, Amazon used to be ten dollars a month. Amazon Prime used to be ten dollars a month, and now you can get the video by itself for thirteen dollars a month, I believe, and you can get Prime for. 120 a year. Um, yeah, it used to be, it used to be so cheap. I do like seeing the New York times grow. Uh, they need to be very careful how they add prices, how they add pricing, um, how they, how they add dollars to the pricing rather. Uh, wall street journal is, I think the lowest is 28 99 per year. Um, that is unless you've already subscribed before. And then they keep, they send you the emails that say, Hey, do you want to get it for half off $25 per month <laughs> or $20 per month, nineteen ninety five per month. Uh, so you're saving $9 a month, but still it's 20 bucks per month for uh, a, a website that leans. It's moderate, but it leans kind of conservative. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, sorry, excuse me. Uh, but it is a good publication. I do like the wall street journal. Um, and the times, uh, and I hate saying worth, uh, I do think the times is quote unquote worth, uh, whatever the, uh, whatever, you know, whatever you're paying for it. The New York times is, is wonderful. Uh, I did not like how they gate kept the New York times cooking behind the freaking thing because I like 
Let's see. Hold on. I'm looking for the New York Times cooking because I like I like the cooking app. It's a good app. It's a really good app, and it's on my iPad. It's on my phone. It's on the website. I have saved things in there, but it sucks that you know you have to pay a certain amount of money per month. I think it's like four bucks per month, and I think the um, crossword is like two or three dollars per month. But still, nobody or per per every four weeks. But still, nobody wants. I don't want to do that. That's dumb. So, uh, Washington post is also, they always, they always have sales too, like 50, but they do it per year. So like $50 per year, $30 per year, $30 during the winter, uh, during Christmas. They, and then the Atlantic, the Atlantic is $5 per month now too. It's, it's, it really sucks. Cause you want to, you want to protect journalism. You want to save it. You want to always pay for these things when you can support these people is what I meant to say, support journalism. But then when everything goes to a subscription model and you don't really, you know, and you want to read an article from t- 10 years ago and that's behind a paywall or because you read five New York times articles, <laughs> you're in your five or up for the month, you know, or your five up for, for the month for the Atlantic, uh, or in your, in your three or up for the Washington post. I think Washington Post is substantially less than the others. That <laughs> it's, it truly does suck. Or in like your wall street journal and, and you like, and you, and you have a article you like, or a feature you like to read there, and it's, it's gate kept because you don't have a subscription there anymore. <sighs> Frustrating. All right, let's move on. Uh, really move at a fast clip because <laughs> I'm really trying not to make this an hour long, but it might be an hour long. What else happened to me this week? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. The shadow of the Tomb Raider. I beat. No, I didn't. I, I was about to lie. The last Tomb Raider, I think it was not Rise of the Tomb Raider, but the the Tomb Raider, Laura, what is the two, what's the second Tomb Raider game? Great, now i got to figure this out. <laughs> I think it is the Tomb Raider game that came out in 2015. No, I don't know why I'm typing in 2015. Tomb Raider uh, 2. <laughs> Let's call it Tomb Raider 2. Uh, nope, that is the movie. <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> Okay, Tomb Raider 2016, I believe that's when it came out. 2013 to 2015, I was right the first time. Rise of the Tomb Raider, I was right the first time. So Rise of the Tomb Raider, that came out in 2015. I bought the game, and I and I this I piecemeal play video games. I play I play here and there and stuff. Um, but it won't. It was only like like within the past year where I really sat down and said, All right, I got to beat this game, uh, and then. So I didn't beat it. <laughs> Long story short, I got to the very last to the boss battle, which is against a helicopter and like fifteen thousand goons, and it was just too hard. I changed the I changed the um, the uh, difficulty to the easiest thing. I still got I was getting murked like left and right, and then so that was like I spent like an entire Saturday. This is a couple weeks ago. I spent an entire Saturday doing this. <laughs> And I said, you know, I like I spent an entire Saturday getting from the half of the game. Like I, I, I beat, I played for like six hours, which I never do. Uh, it was more like four, but I played for four to six hours, which I never do for a video game, uh, except for Red Dead Redemption Two, which I'll get to in a second. And so I, so I, I, I basically got to the last boss battle. It wouldn't work. And uh, I was listening to the Doughboys podcast the entire time. And I was just so mad. And I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to, you know, whatever. And I went out and I did something. And then Sunday, I, I came back and I said, okay, I'm going to give myself an hour. If I can't beat it in an hour, I'm going to delete it from my Xbox because it's been sitting on there for, for, you know, four years or whatever. And 
<laughs> I play the game for an hour and I, at like 40 minutes I go, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I just delete it. And then uh, this week I learned that Shadow of the Tomb Raider will be leaving Xbox Game Pass. And my Xbox Game Pass, ex- my, it, it, leaves, it leaves Game Pass at the end of February. My Game Pass expires next Friday. Valentine's Day. So what I have to do is I downloaded the game already. I started it last night. I have to beat this game within the week and it's 20 something hours and I just don't have the time or the patience. So I get, but I, you know, I did reread a review for it and it said that uh, the reviewer said that, um, the game is less combat focused. So thank God. And then red dead, I beat red dead redemption two. It took me exactly a calendar year. I put it down for a couple of weeks, you know, here and there, a couple of months or whatever. Uh, but it's a, a lovely game. I think that's enough. That's a game that neat. You shouldn't blast with that game. People had a lot of issues with that game. I do have issues with that game, but I think ultimately it was the best game of last year. Um, and it should, you should definitely not play it like it's GTA. You have to play it very slowly. Uh, you want, watch any Western, which I've been forced to do at work. Watch any Western. You'll understand. And I'm finally at the epilogue. Uh, the game's old. The game's a year old. Uh, the main character dies, and also it's a prequel, <laughs> so whatever. The main character dies, and you're playing. And then in the epilogue, you ha- it's like a, which is another eight hours. Uh, so I just spent I spent, <laughs> I spent uh, eighty hours. No, 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 no. It took yeah, it took me eighty hours to play to beat the game to do the main quest, and then also like a bunch of side stuff. And I did not delineate. I didn't play any. I didn't play any. Um, uh, mini games. I didn't like. I didn't go hunting for fun, except for the legendary animals, which were like, which only took me like five minutes each. Um, but I played the game from the from the from tip to tail, except save for the epilogue, and it took me eighty hours. Eight zero, amazing, love it. Um, and so I'm at, so I'm at the epilogue now. You're playing as the uh, the main guy from the first game, so I got to finish that. I'm very excited. Uh, but 80 hours, man, I looked at the time of my Xbox and I just went, wow, <laughs> that's crazy. A year. It took me a year or two. Uh, and then everybody else, you know, took them, you know, they're just blasting through it. I'm just, I'm just enjoying my time. Take my time. All right, let's move along. Let's go to Spotify. Spotify has made a purchase. Spotify has bought the ringer. The ringer is Bill Simmons's podcasting company and it's a website. This comes from Todd Spangler at Variety. Spotify is acquiring Bill Simmons' The Ringer as part of a podcast push. Uh, Spotify has, I believe, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, so I'm really trying to find it. Uh, So a company, basically what happens when a company buys another company, analysts on Wall Street are saying, this company is, is, uh, could be valued at, you know, this much money. And they just throw like an arbitrary value at it. And they said, and there's, there's a lot of math into it, and I just, I just don't care to look into it. Uh, but they said that, and I, I think it's referenced in another article, so we'll look at that in a second. But Spotify essentially maybe perhaps spent $200 million on the ringer. That was the, that was the quote from another article I read. Uh, this, is, this is good news for the ringer, for Bill Simmons. They, but but this is even better news for Spotify because now they own a, a huge portion of podcasting. You know, Scripps they own Earwolf. Earwolf was already is one of the first podcasting companies, and obviously it's it's huge, um, huge in name. I don't know if it's <laughs> huge in pay, 
and Stitcher. They own they own Stitcher and uh, and, and Earwolf. And then there's also and then there's also these other little companies. Uh, but now Spotify owns. This is this is from Todd. Spotify paid three hundred ninety three million dollars for the previous three podcast acquisitions, uh, which included Gimlet Media, Anchor, and Parcast. And, you know. Anchor is the tool that you, that anybody you can use utilize on their phone to make a podcast. Podcast is another podcast network, and Gimlet Media is obviously one of the biggest media companies, uh, audio media companies in the past couple of years. The Gimlet deal is worth about one hundred eighty million, one hundred eighty nine million, plus up to forty four million for incentives. Anchor was one hundred fifty million plus twenty two million incentives, and Podcast was fifty four million up to eleven million incentives. This is, again, uh, The Ringer has a bunch of podcasts, the Bill Simmons podcast, Rewatchables, uh, some video stuff that they do, and then um, post HBO stuff that stream on Twitter or YouTube or the website proper. Huge. This is big news for them. Um, and so Spotify in the past year has spent roughly $600 million on podcasting stuff in the past, in the past few months. Yeah, from March 2019, from February 2019 until now. Yeah, uh, this is this is again big news. Uh, let's move on to remember that tie-in. Uh, Spotify. This is from Engadget. Spotify reigns supreme. Is the new heavyweight champ of podcasts? I don't know why I read my thing from Billy Steele. Spotify is also getting a new audience. This is a sports stuff. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let me. Let me just, I knew I should have reread this stuff. I see you put all this stuff on over the course of a week and you just forget what happens. Uh, this is, this is from Billy. Sure. This is, the ringer is a publisher, but don't get caught up in the Spotify is a publishing business storyline. I'm sure the company is happy that it now has award-winning writers and a site that cranks out quality written content under its wing. But this purchase is primarily about primarily about podcasts. The ringer has 30 shows, obviously, uh, that tally more than a hundred million <laughs> downloads a month. <laughs> Ooh, geez. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of ad revenue. That's a lot of ad revenue. I wonder if Spotify, you know, Stitcher, gatekeeps a lot of earwolf shows like you have to i wonder if spotify is going to have original shows but only released on spotify and in the later article that i'm also going to read in a second they uh it is said that uh people are using spotify the way spotify wants you to use it to listen to music and podcasts so i wonder if I wonder if they're going to start releasing because I know I remember a couple of years ago they teamed up with the WNYC and we're going to release like two dope Queens uh, and a few other shows, uh, the NPR adjacent shows that were um, timed releases, kind of like how Apple music had, you know, a couple of like Drake albums and stuff like that timed. Uh, but obviously that didn't, that didn't work out for music because you know, Apple Music has less than half of what Spotify has for listenership. Uh, so if you if you if you do that, if you gatekeep, then uh, it's not going to work out for anybody. All right. Uh, Spotify kept established Gimlet shows widely distributed after the acquisition. 
Even the new podcast Mogul eventually made it to other platforms after a period of exclusivity on, on Spotify. That delay obviously makes less sense with timely commentary and analysis like most of the Ringer's podcasts. Either way, there should still be ample content to enjoy even if Spotify isn't your podcast player of choice. Now that Spotify owns Gimlet, Podcast, and The Ringer, the number of prolific podcast producers isn't it hasn't snapped up is becoming increasingly limited. Uh, you still have NPR and other public radio organizations, which they would never sell, along with Vox Media, which I don't think they would ever sell, uh, and more niche outfits like Night Vale Presents, which I think they would sell. <laughs> um, and then he then he asks, why hasn't Apple done something similar? Uh, you know, I'm you know what. I think Apple. I was about to. This is my. This is my. Uh, my, my instant reaction. I, I. I thought Apple doesn't need to, but then I think, where do people base their like of a podcast? Like you don't just because I can download a po- like a, a Pandora and listen to a podcast. Listen to Never Not Funny doesn't mean that I know. Or Conan, let me let me go for a bigger podcast. No, it's Never Not Funny. The uh, uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Or Dax's podcast, which I since unsubscribed to, <laughs> just because I can listen to it on Pandora doesn't mean I know that it's one of the biggest podcasts in the world. But if you go to Apple Podcasts and you look at how many people review it, which is in the tens of thousands, and they give it five stars, then that's how I know that's popular. Uh, in its earning report today, and before adding the ringer to its fold, Spotify revealed it has more than 700,000 podcasts. According to Podcast Insights, Apple hosts more than 850,000 shows on uh, its podcast. He made he wrote a joke in here, and I just skipped over it. It's podcast app. <laughs> and more than 30 million episodes. I don't need you writing jokes, man. <laughs> this is a tech blog, a tech website. That's a surprisingly small gap, and I expect it to shrink over the next quarter. Spotify, I still said, uh, and 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 just and hosting is different. People, anybody can put a uh, a host a podcast. Um, all you have to do is or host a podcast on on Apple Podcasts, which is where you want to host it right now, uh, right now. <laughs> like again, because that that number is small, and Spotify might overtake it. Uh, but again, there's no reviews on Spotify, so still. But. Uh, if you like with my with the pod, with the with the with the the hosting app the hosting app the hosting service I use, you're able to uh, just hook up your RSS feed to Apple and to Spotify and to Google and to Stitcher, which is where I host the show. All four does where I host the show, and um, I mean that it handles it for you. So uh, if your show's on the Spotify, all you have to do is just say, "Hey, my RSS feed." Boom! Here it is. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see where Spotify is heading with this. Um, they are gunning for Apple uh, in terms of, and plus, I mean, there's just the name recognition with Spotify. You know, if I, that's why I love. I love when Spotify offers me ten, three months for ten dollars because I get it. And uh, and if someone happens to grab my phone, someone happens to, if I give my if I give my phone to somebody, my friend or somebody, uh, I have one. I have one friend. Then <laughs> there. Or I give my iPad to them, or I have my laptop, and I'm like, "Hey, choose a song," and they, and they, you know, they're on Google Play Music. That's gonna be hard for them to go. Okay, how do I get to Summer Walker? Like, where? How do I find this? But they go to Spotify. Spotify is universal, and then there's Apple Music, which you know, obviously they haven't. They have. You can listen to it on your phone, on your any phone, Android phone, iPhone. You can listen to it on an iPad. You can listen to it on an Android tablet if those still exist. <laughs> but Spotify. 
has a familiarity, familiar lore. And this ties in. Barstool Sports sold to, this is a story from, today's the 7th, this is a story from last week. Barstool Sports, Sports sold to a casino for $450 million to Pan National Gaming. Uh, Barstool Sports is a uh, sports blog. It's a it's a Boston sports blog, um, mostly for white people. Uh, <laughs> it is it is mostly for white people. <laughs> I looked at a couple of their videos uh, over the past week, and, <laughs> and most of the people that work there are white. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and again, I love the white I love the white people, mostly the women. <laughs> Oh boy, that was a little bit. That was a little bit Trumpish. <laughs> um, this is uh, this comes from Vox, written by Peter Kafka. He's a good writer. Let me let me read the part. It's a stunning deal for the digital media industry, coming as many publishers are retrenching after a round of ultimately disappointing Facebook fueled optimism and investment. And it's a big payoff for the churning group, which had reportedly invested some $25 million to buy controlling stakes in Barstool in 2016 and 2018. People familiar with Barstool estimate estimate that churn owned around 60% of the company prior to today's deal. Wow. That's a huge, a lot of money for them. Uh, they really, the, the reason that, uh, Kafka is writing this, he says the reason, excuse me, is why, uh, why this is a big deal is because, Barstool can really thank the gambling the gambling industry. Uh, they legalize sports gambling in the U.S. And then obviously individual states have to decide. So New Jersey can. I don't think New York can. Because I, I also saw a story where uh, people were going, were leaving Manhattan for like, you know, they're taking like an hour, hour and a half train ride. Or Connecticut, they're taking an hour and a half train ride. Going to New Jersey, going like to the outer edges like of New Jersey where the train would come in. Uh, load up the app gamble like place a bet and then go back home <laughs> uh i think that's really i if, seriously if i lived in, in manhattan or if i lived in connecticut and i did i would do that definitely i wouldn't live in connecticut uh definitely Manhattan. <laughs> since then there's been a rush by both media companies and the gambling industry to capitalize on what they both assume will be a boom in online betting right now the primary winners seem to be DraftKings and FanDuel two companies that had spent huge sums of marketing money a few years ago when they were operating as quote daily fantasy sports games yeah DraftKings I, I, and FanDuel I guarantee boy they have got to have they've got to be doing so well uh, so yeah there we go okay so hold on keep that in mind let's keep going alright so now this is also from Vox uh, why why buy this is this comes from Peter Kafka. Why Spotify and a Casino bought the Ranger and Barstool. So this is why all this matters. These are two big deals that have happened for audio and for sports journalism. I was gonna say journalism, but I was like, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> all right, a few years ago. When investors were very excited to throw money at digital companies like BuzzFeed, Vice, and Vox Media, uh, the big TV guys were presumed were the presumed buyers. But that never happened, and now the big TV guys seem to move on. That is now has also affected what digital media companies are making these days. Instead of concentrating on making theoretically Facebook friendly stories and videos, which is the you know the short shareable stuff, uh, and you know and, and also going off of um, 
Facebook, you know, stuff that you post on Twitter. That's like two or three minutes, like two minutes long. Um, designed to spread, to be spread to Mark Zuckerberg's 2 billion plus users. They're not his users. I hate when people just, never mind. Okay. Digital publishers are all, are doing just about everything else and hoping some of it works. They're publishing stories defined to be friendly with Google's search algorithm, SEO stuff, uh, making videos designed for YouTube, uh, and, and developing content that Amazon and other retailers might pay to add product promoting links to. They basically want to make revenue. That's the ad revenue that, that the New York Times is trying to wean itself off of. They're also turning out podcasts, putting up paywalls in hopes that consumers will subscribe to see what's behind them and pitching TV shows to Netflix, Hulu, and everyone else with streaming service. To back up the old idea, sometimes expressed out loud, other times just implied, was that a new crop of upstarts had figured out millennials and Facebook uh, and digital video and that this expertise would be very useful to TV conglomerates that were seeing... Their audiences melt away because of the internet. <laughs> the TV guys, the argument went, had declining business that still threw off a lot of money, and they would use that money to buy the new guys, and that the new guys would help the TV guys find those elusive millennials using Facebook or whatever, but usually Facebook to track them down. But now that's not a thing anymore because you can get you can watch everything everywhere. Quibi's coming out in in April. Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg. Oh God, what is Meg's last name? Jeff and Meg, Jeff and Meg's uh, thing where they're having TV shows and movies, but they're all going to be bite-sized chunks. So a TV show will be, you know, three minutes long rather than 30. It'll be five instead of 50. A drama that's five minutes long. Can you imagine that? How are they all not going to be comedies? How can you feel something in three minutes? Cut to somebody bursting through his window and stabbing me in the back. (laughs) I'll take it in the chest, please. In the heart. <laughs> Not while I'm wearing this. <laughs> Unless you're going to bury me in it. <laughs> uh, but then he also go. he continues on saying that some of the biggest people who have invested inside of Vice, inside, which is Disney, Disney invested in Vice. I gave, I think, I think they gave him like $300 million. Uh, uh, the companies that invested in Refinery29, Mike, and Mashable, which happens to be Warner Media. Uh, Discovery invested in Group 9. Now this news. You know, all that stuff. Univision invested in Gawker Media. You know, right after <laughs> that whole thing happened. But then it, then it stopped because you can't, the sellability of those things don't happen anymore. But now you have New York Times. I think, it, I think it's kind of on the verge back. Because now you have the New York Times teaming up with Hulu and Disney uh, and FX in order to show the weekly, which is probably won't be coming back. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there we go. Uh, that's why all those things are, are happening right now. That's why everything is, uh, 35 minutes. <laughs> Jesus is happening. Um, <laughs> let me, let me go ahead and skip through this. Cause this is gonna, uh, okay. So, this is also kind of in news time next week, so definitely keep an eye out for that. But this comes from Variety, written by Kate Arthur, and let me pull up the second one as well. Um, women, this is all right. So, so the, this, this is called "Women and People of Color Made Strides on Screen." Study shows so this is from USC Annenberg's uh, Inclusion Initiative, which I've talked about all the time, uh, led by CCL Smith. 
they said they studied 1300 films over for over the course of uh, 2007 2019 and they found numbers that include across the entire sample of 13,000 1300 movies excuse me the number of people of color in lead or co-lead roles was 17% which is uh, a leap i believe not a leap which is a stride in the right direction for women characters 43 of the top 100 movies had female leads or co-leads. 16 of them were from underrepresented racial or ethnic groups. That's also an improvement from 2018 when 39 of the movies, uh, top 100, had a lead uh, female or co-lead character, 11 of whom were characters of color. Their overall sample, 29% of the 1,300 movies, had female leads or co-leads. Those are 13-year highs. In 2007, just 13 of the top 100 movies had female leads or co-leads of color. And just 20 of the two uh, top 100 had women as co-leads or leads. Uh, despite progress, uh, everything, I, I mean, you know, you, you take it, you take it and leave it. Uh, there's sometimes these numbers go up and uh, it's great. But then you also have the people in front of the camera are doing well. The people behind the camera are not. This comes from, I did that without even looking. This comes from Adam B. Very. <laughs> Women and people of color still underrepresented behind the screen, behind the scenes. Uh, this is from UCLA Institute for Research and Labor on Unemployment. Uh, this is authored by Darnell, Dr. Darnell Hunt and Dr. Anna Christina Ramon. Um, this is a completely different school, but I have I know Darnell Hunt. I don't know him personally, uh, but I've talked, <laughs> but I've talked about him when I first met the uh, USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. Uh, the most troubling finding is the lack of progress for people of color trying to secure directing jobs. In 2011, people of color made up 12.2% of directors, of the theatrical film directors. This, and I think they studied 200 films, 200 of the top, yeah, 200 of the top theatrical releases in both 2018 and 2019. So it's a, it's not as skewed as 1300 from 2007, 2019, but it's going to be a lot more focused in the two years, you know, since, uh, inclusion writer, since, you know, Francis McDormand went up on stage and said two words, inclusion writer. <laughs> a little, a little Trumpish things. I don't read too much of the news. Um, so 12.2% in 2011. Uh, in 2013 and 2018, some good news, 17.8% and 19.3%. That's the number jumped up for people of color directors. But then it has since dropped again. In 2019, 14.4%. You guys thought Greta Gerwig had it bad. <laughs> uh, there, are some number, there are some more numbers. Uh, let's go down to women again. Women directors, by contrast, have seen some appreciable growth in the past decade. 4.1%. Of all directors in 2011 to record high of 15.1% in 2019. But women of color, again, have not done very well. Uh, it's three to one. This is what they wrote in the study. It remained, quote, remained underrepresented by a factor of more than three to one in this employment arena in 2019. Um, definitely check out both of those studies. It's. You know, I was watching Joaquin Phoenix give his BAFTA, BAFTA acceptance speech. And, you know, the past couple of weeks, when you listen to 
podcasts and people talk and people, you know, critics talk about um, the Oscars and it not being diverse enough and uh, and doing this stuff. Uh, but also the mo- the main thing I'm talking about is how the Joker is kind of like white male privilege, kind of like people to judge. It's <laughs> it's white male. Pri- <laughs> I wrote a joke today to somebody in text that said. Uh, uh, I can't wait till we find out that uh, Pete Buttigieg is just two kids standing on top of each other in a man suit. <laughs> oh yeah, that's very funny. Uh, <laughs> I'll, let me read the joke for you. Let me read the tweet, the text. It's very funny though. Um, but you know, the Joker, the Joker may be white male privilege, uh, but Joaquin Phoenix at the Baftas, he talked about as 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 much as he hates being in the spotlight and and you know talking in front of his peers, he he had a two minute speech that talked about essentially, uh, the, and the Baftas is the British uh, Academy Film and Television Award or something like that, and uh, this year it happened to be completely white. <laughs> yeah, it happened to be because there's you know there's like seven of them that vote on this stuff, and then it just happened, and then and including that number of seven like seven or eight, nine people is like three people of color. And like five women, so I don't understand how five women, like four women, more women should not have numbered them. Um, so I understand how, you know, this that even happened. But they all just nominated white people, including Greta Gerwig and her whiteness, <laughs> and Noah Baumbach and their whiteness. That is the whitest couple. They make the whitest movies. I don't care what anybody says, and I will not support that. Oh, but she didn't get nominated. Oh my God, there are other women directors. I'm about, I was about to name some women directors, but I realized that they're all television directors. <laughs> Beth McCarthy Miller. <laughs> Melina Mitsukas. Uh Oh, the woman who directed Birds of... Not Birds of Prey. Uh, the Harley Quinn movie. The Harley Quinn's... And the Jennifer Yang, I believe. I know. Uh, let me see. Because this is embarrassing now. <laughs> Birds of Prey. Oh, it's not called Birds of Prey. Is it called Birds of Prey? Uh, the director is Kathy Yam. She's a woman. We don't hear talk. We don't hear people talking about her. Uh, the woman who wrote uh, the Crazy Rich Asians. Anyway, I digress. But Joaquin was talking about how the, they need to actually act on diversity instead of just talking about it. He said something along the lines of, "We can just sit here and do this and do that, but we need to act on it." Blah blah blah. Uh, and for the you know for a minute and fifty seconds, people were quiet. And just looking at him with this pensive anger. I, I understand. I think it's probably pensive anger. Uh, but then at the end, when he said, you know, when he wrapped it up, they started clapping. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, did anyone actually hear that? Is anyone going to go back? Scarlett Johansson. I'm going to take a little digression. Scarlett Johansson is nominated for two uh, Oscars for a leading role and a supporting role. And they couldn't give either one of those to somebody who looks like Cynthia Erivo. They couldn't give it to Aquafina. They couldn't to Norlum. Excuse me, because this is a serious thing. They couldn't give it to Jennifer Lopez. They couldn't give it to. Uh, did Widows come out last year? Um, that, that wasn't last year. Widows didn't come out last year. <laughs> that was not 2019. 2018. Okay. But they couldn't give it to to people of brown skin. <sighs> this is. I mean. How many people vote for the for the academy? Like, because I think you have to be in it. So, I, so there's like 500 people in the academy. Well, that means like 500 people, a thousand people. Let's let's say it's on the upper side of 900. 900 people didn't say anything or didn't uh, vote in vote in uh, the, the the things the peoples. 
And even if it is just a hand, like 20 people, because you have to, the, the academy is a, a class you have to join. Like you have to be invited to join. And, you know, you can be an actor. You can be Terry Crews and you're in it. But I don't know if you can vote. So I don't understand. I don't know. This bothers me. Oh, and then Viacom CBS is getting a streaming service. <laughs> Viacom, CBS Viacom. Uh, they're, they might, they merged last year and they might be getting a streaming service. Well, they merged again. They're, they're already merged. They both have ex- existing streaming services, but then now why not just make it synergy? Why not do a Disney plus? Why not do a, uh, HBO max? Why not do this? Uh, this is from CNBC written by Alex Sherman. The streaming service will build off of CBS all access and include Paramount picture movies which have thus far been leased to other streaming services, including Amazon Prime Video and Netflix. Uh, both Viacom and CBS have existing streaming services, including CBS All Access and Showtime. Also, yeah, Showtime Anytime is uh, one of those, and which combined have more than 10 million paying subscribers. Man, if they do this, they should just add it to CBS All Access. <laughs> and just call it CBS All Access. Uh... Let's see, an ad-free version will also be available. Here are the networks that Viacom owns. They own Pluto TV, which is also a streaming service, like a live TV streaming service that has like a bunch of different theme channels. Then Nickelodeon, BET, MTV, Comedy Central, and Paramount Pictures. So they're going to mix all that. Maybe not the Pluto thing, but mix all that together. See, I think CBS is the name you should use. CBS All Access, just like HBO Max. Like everybody knows HBO. Everybody knows CBS. It's the highest rated broadcast network. An ad-free version an ad-free version will also be available. And a premium version of the streaming service will include Showtime, the people said. The people said. Viacom CBS executives haven't decided on a name for the service nor a price, though the base service will probably be less than ten dollars a month, two of the people said. Uh Viacom CBS is in the awkward position of being simultaneously early and late to the streaming wars. CBS and CBS All Access launched in uh, 2014, uh, five years before everybody else. But now NBC Universal's got Peacock coming out, and then uh, HBO Max is coming out too. Um, And and it it looks like the pricing is going to mimic that of uh, uh, CBS, not (laughs) that of um, NBC. I was looking at the time. This has gone on for a very long time. All right, I should have just broke this out of two episodes, but I didn't want to. So there we go. We'll see that in coming. We'll we'll see that in a second. We'll see what happens. Uh, please build it off of CBS All Access. I enjoy CBS All Access and the three things I watch on there. <laughs> All right, this final thing. We're gonna pick the Oscar winners. <laughs> this is forty something minutes of me just talking about myself. Oh, let me do one thing. Hey, Google, turn on the lamp. Sure, turning the lamp on. All right, I just had to turn on my uh, the living room lamp light so it looks like I'm at home. So nobody tries to come in and kill me. So let's choose the winners of these Oscars. That's why I'm wearing the tux, baby. <laughs> Which I've been sitting uncomfortably in for 47 minutes. <laughs> All right. Also, hopefully this is the last week where I'm just recording with the GoPro. Hopefully, uh, 
or video or GoPro. Hopefully, I have a camera battery coming in a couple of days. So hopefully that happens. This is best performance by an actor in a leading role. Now the money is on DiCaprio, and I think, given that that's the only movie I've seen, it should be DiCaprio. <laughs> but I would love for Antonio Banderas to win. This is his first. This is his first um, Oscar nomination, even though he's been working since the '80s. Crazy. Uh, also in that category, Adam Driver, Joaquin Phoenix, Jonathan Price. Performance by an actor in a supporting role. Just gonna do a little min first, right? <laughs> Tom Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Brad Pitt. It should go to Brad Pitt, and I hope it does go to Brad Pitt. Who watched The Two Popes? Who was my age and said, I got to sit down and watch The Two Popes? Who's my age and said, I want to watch The Irishman on a Sunday afternoon as they have nothing else to do in their life in their name chat? Me. <laughs> That's what I did. The Sunday that uh, after The Irishman came out, I sat down and watched it for an entire afternoon. I know I talked about that. Like I said, Brad Pitt's got to win that one. Performance by an actress in a leading role. Cynthia Riva for Harriet. Now Cynthia, again, she's in she's I've said this before, she's in a position where she's nominated twice for best original song for Harriet and a best performance leading role, Harriet. She can EGOT. And I really hope she wins one of these. I know I think it's not gonna be for best actress, but if it's original song, take the win. Take the win. <laughs> and she this is like the shortest time I've seen somebody EGOT. This would be like four years, four or five years. Cynthia Riva for Harriet. Scarlett Johansson from uh, Marriage Story for White People Get Married. <laughs> Saoirse Ronan for Little White Women. <laughs> Charlize Theron for Bombshell. Women, White women get uh, sexually assaulted. That was a funny. I'm sorry. Was, I feel so bad now. Uh, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. <laughs> Again, Cynthia Riva should win. By guarantee, they'll give it to Renee Zellweger because she has been winning everything. And also, she hasn't been on the stage in a minute, so we'll see. This comes from uh, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. Kathy Bates, Richard Jewell. I'm not going to read the movies. Kathy Bates, Laura Dern, Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, Margot Robbie. Uh, I read that it'll be Laura Dern. I, I've seen a lot of predictions that it'll be Laura Dern, and it's probably going to be her. But if it's Scarlett, I'm going to be so pissed. If it's Florence, I'm going to be so pissed. She's dating Zach Braff. Ugh. Not because of the age difference, but it's Zach Braff. I hope he sees this. I hope you see this, Zach Braff. <laughs> Zach Braff, I hope you see this. Um, best animated feature, film of the year. How to Train Your Dragon in World. No, I lost my body. Klaus, Missing Link, Toy Story 4. I I, I know it's going to be Toy Story 4, but Missing Link was so charming and so good and delightful. I hit my nose on the microphone and I got scared because I didn't know what it was. Missing Link was so good. Mostly white people in that movie, but I did enjoy it. I did. I saw Toy Story 4 last week. Um, I spent $4 on it when I could have waited exactly a week to today. And it would be up on Disney+. Plus. I did not know. I was I was so adamant. I was like, I got to see this movie. I have to watch this movie. I have to watch this movie. <laughs> I spent $4 that I did not have. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have $4. But still, I'm very mad that I, that I did that. I didn't wait. It was fine. Uh, Achievement in cinematography. Irishman, Joker, Lighthouse, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, if 1917 
I think this can go one of like three ways. 1917 is going to win Best Picture. I, I think that's going to what's going to happen. 19 because it's the safe choice. 1917 wins Best Picture, and they also win cinematography, but nothing else. Or they win best. They win cinematography. They don't win Best Picture, but you have to recognize that 1917 was is the is the long shot. It's the one shot movie. There's no break in the in the shot. Um, and, and I think it's I, th- I think it's a good movie for it. Also, I don't want to see it again. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. Um, Ford v. Ferrari is nominated. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. It, it is nominated. It is not. Ford v. Ferrari is nominated. Matt Damon, Christian Bale. It's about Ford building a car to beat a Ferrari, a race car to beat a Ferrari. But before I came in here, Logan is on FX this Friday evening. And so I turned on FX and started watching Logan, you know, the last half of Logan. And, and then I thought, man, James Mangold, he's the director for Logan and for Ford v. Ferrari. And I thought, man, one of these movies I will sit down and watch, you know, for the rest of my life. And one of them I just saw in theaters once and I'll never want to see it again. And that's Ford v. Ferrari. <laughs> I don't want to see that movie again. It's a good movie. And I enjoyed my time with it. I have no plans of ever seeing it again. But Logan, I can watch that again. I can watch that again right now. Uh, so cinematography, I think, is going to go to 1917. I would like to see Lighthouse win. All those movies are fine. Um, I've never seen Joker. Maybe I'll rent it this weekend. I'd like to see, I'd like to, I'd like to see Lighthouse win, but I think 1917 would be a safe bet too. Uh, costume design, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think Little Women might win that based on the trailers, which I have I don't ever want to see that <laughs> And you know, I also read something. There are people of color in Little Women. They're given very tiny speaking roles or the extras. Uh-uh, you're not going to trick me. Greta Gerwig and the argument I was thinking about this today too the argument could be that Greta you know Lady Bird Francis Ha these movies that she was in uh, I've never seen Francis Ha so I don't know <laughs> if there's people of color in it or not um, but the argument could be that she's just writing movies that she knows from her heart she can speak to this and that um, but that doesn't mean anything you're like you're you're no better than the people who make 1917 or Dunkirk or uh, that Winston Winston Churchill movie. Uh, just put people of color in movies. You know, Lin Manuel Miranda and Ron Chernow. Hamilton. They did Hamilton. Hamilton is has just it's about white people, but it's starring brown people. There's one white person in it. He's a king. Two white people. There's two kings. Uh, so, so costume, I think little women or Jojo rabbit or, you know, once upon a time, I actually did a really good job. I don't know why Irishman is out there. It's like they ran out of movies and they said, Oh, Irishman, uh, directing Irishman, Joker, 1917, once upon a time, parasite. I would like to see it go to Bong Joon Ho for parasite. I really would just to get some, uh, brown faces up there. Sam is brown too. Sam Mendez learned he is, uh, of Port- Portuguese or something, I think. Uh, but he's not white. And that's all I know. <laughs> um, I would love to see Bong Joon-ho get it. And if not, then it should go to Quentin, to Quentin Toronto. That's an inside joke for myself <laughs> that no one else that I've ever know knows it. Best documentary feature. American Factory on Netflix, The Cave on Hulu, Edge of Democracy on Netflix, Forsama on Hulu, <laughs> Honeyland. <laughs> I don't know where Honeyland is. You can watch all these streaming right now. 
which is which is amazing. Wait, like three years ago, even when streaming was still it was a thing. Three years ago, it was you were hard pressed to find any movie that was in an Oscar that was an Oscar nominated thing that was streaming. But now half of these are streaming. Half of the things that are nominated are streaming. <laughs> you can just go to and legally. Oh, I love it. Or for Sama, if you have if you want to watch it on PBS where it originally aired, you can watch it there. Uh, I think that what was going to win? Uh, I think I chose American, which is one of them is from the Obamas, and I think it's American Factory. So I'm going to choose American Factory. Best documentary short. Uh, I've watched one of these. I'm planning on watching one more, and the rest I don't know how to watch in the absence. Um, learning to skateboard in the war zone if you're a girl, which I saw, which is very lovely. Life overtakes me. St. Louis Superman and Walk Run Cha Cha. Life Overtakes Me is on Netflix. Uh, I want to see Learning to Skateboard in a war zone. I want to see that one win, uh, mostly because that's the only one I watch. Achievement in film editing. Uh, we let's skip those. Let's skip the ones that I just don't care about. Uh, uh, best score, best song. Again, Toy Story Four. I can't let you throw yourself away, which I didn't like that one. I don't think I'm gonna love me again from Rocket Man, written by Elton John. I think Elton John might win that one. I'm standing with you from Breakthrough into the Unknown, which when I win, stand up from Harriet. I really want stand up from Harriet to win. I want it to win. I want it to win. I want Cynthia to Egot. Uh, best motion picture. Of, all right, so here they have best motion picture of the year, and then they have three more awards. <laughs> so let's do this one. Let's um, hold on. Let me see if there's any more sound mixing, visual screenplay. Let's do screenplay really quick. Adapted screenplay: Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Two Popes. Taika Waititi is the only brown person on here. I want to see him win. I want to see Greta get shut out. <laughs> I want to see her get. I have the Little Women script. I want to see her get shut out. <laughs> Uh, Jojo Rabbit. I want to see that one. Best original screenplay. Uh, Knives Out, which is mostly white. Uh, Marriage Story, all white. Uh, 1917, all white. <laughs> Once Upon a Time, all white. All white, and I love Quentin Toronto. Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. That's <laughs> an inside joke again for me. Uh, and then Parasite. Uh, I would like to see Parasite win. Knives Out, but you know, Knives Out is the only comedy that has ever been nominated, I think, in the past couple of years. So I'd love to see that win. All right, let's do Best Picture and then hang up this stupid show and let me get this God blessed thing. 58 minutes. Uh, best Picture, Motion Picture of the Year. Four V Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite. I, all, I, I read something this week that was talking about how uh, the expansion of the amount of best pictures has really opened up, you know, the tastes of the best pictures. Because usually, like, if you, before, before they expanded a couple years ago, it was, you know, you chose five movies. And then sometimes it wasn't even five. But now you can, I think it's up to 10 or 11. And then sometimes now it's not even ten or eleven, but still that meet the the threshold for best motion picture. And I th- it's like a, and it's a voting thing as well. So like you have to be voted in for best picture, whatever. Out of all those, I would like to see. Uh, I know nineteen seventeen is probably going to win, but I would love to see. Why is Jojo Rabbit over here? <laughs> I would love to see um, Once Upon a Time, Parasite, or nineteen seventeen. Obviously, out of all three of those. Uh, out of all, you know, seven or eight of these, I would love to see either one of those, either any one of those movies, *Parasite*, *Once Upon a Time*, or *1917*. Uh, so yeah, here we go. Listen, Oscar's going to be big. 
Um, they're gonna they're gonna say rest in peace to Kirk Douglas, who just passed away yesterday, and to Kobe Bryant, which which should be great. Um, yeah, I just can't wait for Sunday. It's gonna be a good time. You know, we had the Super Bowl last week, which I watched and I made a bunch of food for, and now I'm gonna do the same thing for the Oscars. It's gonna be the same about the chicken wings, the chips, the donuts, the cookies. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, yeah. All right, listen, we're gonna hang up. If you like what you heard here, head on over to the website, seaplescomedy.com, where you can see so many interviews, all the videos I've done, all the podcasts I've ever done. See it there. I'm so tired. It's Friday. I'm so tired. <laughs> Uh, let's see that was the website. <laughs> if you want to see a video version of this show, head on over to youtube.com slash C comedy. See me sitting in a tuxedo. Like, this is insane. That doesn't even happen. It's from the black tux. You can tell it's not, uh, uh, Christian uh, Dior <laughs> or Vera Wang. I was looking at a Vera Wang tuxedo. Uh, when I, when my mom was like, you gotta get a tux. I thought, well, why don't I just buy one? Because I, <laughs> this is the douchiest thing. But I mean, if I read that if you if you go to enough black tie events, which is like two, like if you go to at least like two a year, then the tux will pay for itself in five years versus you paying $300 every time you're in a tux. So I just thought, yeah, why don't I just drop $1,000 on a tux? <laughs> Like seriously, I like for, and I still think it's a good idea. Nothing's going to deter me. But why don't you just buy like a nice tux, like a nice like thousand fifteen hundred dollar tux, and then and also, I mean, that would force me to go. Maybe I should look for some gallus, and <laughs> maybe I should be a part of some organizations. <laughs> and then, just, and then you know, wear a tux. That'd be nice to have. I think that I think that'd just be nice to have. I know I know it sounds silly and stupid, but I think you know a man. Uh, I think an adult. I was gonna say a man, but an adult. Whatever you choose to gender yourself as. Oh, don't want to say gender. Uh, but whatever you choose to call yourself, you know, um, you should have nice clothes. And that's why, <laughs> this is an hour, an hour long, whatever. But, uh, there, you know, we're talking about fast fashion and how the clothes that, I, I saw something on the New York Times a couple weeks ago where these kids, these teenagers would just buy like $10, $15 shirts for TikToks. They make these TikToks and then you know, they would never wear these things again. So now they have, you know, $5,000 worth of, uh, $15 shirts and pants and socks and underwear and all this stuff. Hope they're not showing underwear on TikTok, but they have all this stuff that's cheap and then they're just not wearing it and they're just throwing it out. And now we have all this, this clothing debt, this pileup, which, which is crazy. So now, so I, I made a decision. This is, you know, in mid January, I made a decision to only buy, you know, whenever I have, when I have money and when obviously when I've settled, but to only buy, you know, nicer duds like the jean jacket I usually wear on this show for the past couple of episodes. That's, that's a, that was a more expensive jacket. And I'm fair. I like that. I like that. I bought it, you know, and obviously I'm not going to get rid of the, the chinos I have from target or the cardigans I have from target. Um, but it's 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 better for you to not just waste money on these on cheap clothing. I'm looking at my closet right now. This if, I, if you're looking at the camera, <laughs> I'm trying to look at what clothes are expensive and what, which ones aren't. 
Well, there's a vest in there. It's from uh, not Patagonia, Colombia. Uh, a couple of Nike shirts. You know, there's good holes in them too. Listen, if you want to see a video version of this show, head on youtubecom comedy. See me in a tux. It's very, it's an expensive tux. But again, I will buy a fifteen hundred dollar tux, a Vera Wang tux. I saw at Macy's fifteen hundred, or I think it was like a thousand. Uh, but they go, oh, Calvin Klein was fifteen hundred. So I'm like, just, just look at these. Anyway, just like I would buy a nice laptop. This laptop cost almost two grand, but that was you know six years ago. What year is it? Twenty twenty. I bought this when I graduated from college. So that was, was five years ago, and it's still you know knocking wood. <laughs> you know. It still runs like a dream because this is a Core i7, uh, and I, and I got 16 gigs of RAM. But my my next laptop, hopefully, is a Dell XPS 15, and that is, and I'll get you know 32 gigs of RAM and a Core i7. Anyway, <laughs> on YouTube.com/slash/comedy, you can also see News Time, which is our premiere show. Every week, I just like I dissect an episode, uh, a story. <laughs> I dissect a story. It's like the Daily Show, except less funny. Yada yada yada. This week's episode was the XFL. I'm. It's a. Uh, it's an episode that's watched a lot for some reason because it's XFL stuff. Um. So definitely check it out. XFL starts this week. End. <laughs> I'm not promoting XFL or Black Tux. And then um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram at Seals Comedy. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Chad Black White. Like us on Facebook. Uh, review this podcast, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. All right, I'm done. (laughs) Bye.